Welcome to Dead Headspace. I am your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined by my friend, Brennan LaFaro. Say hello, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And our other friend, Candice Nola. Say hello, Candice. Hello. Today, we are talking to the author of Fever House. His name is Keith Rawson. Say hello, Keith. Hello, everybody. How are you? Nice to digitally, uh, audially meet everyone. So what got you into horror? And like, likewise, by the way, from all three of us, what got you yeah. into horror? You know, I, uh, I just started with, I think uh, my mom worked for the school district in like their library sorting center in the 80s. And uh, she, so she was in charge kind of, of, of getting all the books sent to all the different schools in the county and all that. And she was in charge of returns too, like they would have to return books. And at that time, I think what it was is you ripped the covers off and so that they were unsellable and then sent them back to the distributor. And so she stole a bunch, like a hundred choose your own adventure novels for me and uh, kind of like surreptitiously like smuggled them out of the, the sorting center. Uh, and so I just had this like sudden influx of uh choose your own adventure books and it was just like and i already been reading and stuff you know like i read a lot of comics and stuff but that was just like whoa this is incredible and then probably you know like 95 percent of us uh stephen king as a really young kid you know probably younger than i potentially should have been reading stephen king um was just plowing through it you know uh so i'd say those two things um yeah, Choose Your Own, own Adventure, X-Men Comics, and Stephen King. Trace so many things back to those three, you know? <laughs> I'm just picturing your shelves full of coverless books. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. As a, as a reader, it will never, like, not hurt my heart to just think of all the bookstores ripping the covers off and just yeah. toss it. Because, I mean, it's, it, you know, you, you got to smuggle them out if you're a librarian, but it's illegal to resell them. So you're technically supposed to chuck them in the dumpster and Oh my gosh, what a waste. That's there we go. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah. And like, you know, at eight years old or whatever, I gave no shit about aesthetics at all. You know, I was just like, Oh my gosh, I can turn to page 64 so many times, you know, but yeah, it was like, it was life changing for me. So I'm wondering, was there one King book that you really connected with above all others, or did you just fly through the available bibliography? Yeah, you know, my my uh, my mom plowed through them. The one that I really resonated with a lot uh, was Jim Gardner in Tommyknockers because he represented a lot of like uh, my familial, my family's like th those are the drunks that I knew in my life were a lot like him, you know, and so I was just riveted by that character and his kind of like redemptive arc at the end, you know. Um, so yeah, that, and then just like with it, he just tackled, you know, the like minutia of childhood really well, you know, it's crazy. Like we were, I was talking about this with someone else. You, you think like in the movie, like those kids are like, I don't know, like maybe early teenagers or whatever, but they were like 10 in the book, you know? Yeah. And I could hardly hold spit in my mouth at 10 years old. You know what I mean? They were just, it was like, yeah. So but yeah, those two are definitely like formative ones for me, I think. Tommy you said you you had a connection with the Tommy Knockers. Are you a Tommy Knockers defender? 
<laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, is there, is there a big, like, uh, outcry against, like, I mean, because I think it was one of his last, like, dope books, right? Like, when he was <laughs> yeah. doing a lot of things and... Yeah, I mean, it's generally regarded as a, as a, as a big, long mess, but what I've found is that a lot of people don't like it, but the people who do connect with it feel really strongly about it. So, I mean, beyond, beyond your personal connection, I wonder if you could make a plea for people to give Tommy knockers another chance. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just appreciate the, like, I love all of that scaffolding and world building that went into it, you know? Um, and I think like Salem's Lot does a lot of that too, where it's like just the ripple effect of how this sickness or disease or whatever of vampirism or the like, you know, signals from this ship affect uh, the, the greater world, you know? Um, I love that shit. And I love that uh, when writers get the space to like play with that, you know? So I think it is a big, huge kinetic mess, but it's also like incredibly vibrant, you know? Sure, that, yeah, makes and that doesn't rear its head at all in fever house <laughs> yeah <laughs> right sudden, there we all go all of a sudden gears are clicking into place yeah um, totally uh patrick it, you know it was you. a trip when i uh when i sold that book to random house when i had my first talk with my editor she said in that first conversation like i want you to add thirty thousand words to this is that something you'd be willing to do and I was like, hell yes. You know, like how often do writers get like, please give us more, you know? So it's the opposite. Um, mm -hmm. Now I'll admit, I don't know how many or if any, but your previous books, have they been with random house? And, and if not, well, first off, have they been with random house? No, this is my first, uh, my first book with random house. I have three novels and a story collection with an indie press called meerkat press. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so random house is uh, doing the sequel to fever house called the devil by name that comes out um, next summer. Oh, and nice. then we uh, just did another two book deal. So with random oh, house, congr congratulations. So thank you. Right on. Yeah. I'm stoked. Yeah. I mean, Brandon and I have talked about it before just back and forth. Like what's your, what's your top three dream, uh, publishers and for me as a writer it's um i got uh pantheon books random house and uh scholastic because like scholastic uh -huh. with my childhood random house because just throughout all my life as a reader they're yeah amazing. totally and pantheon's put out some it's put out some pretty badass like war fiction books right that more people should know about so um yeah for random house to me i'm just like I think that's really neat. I'm wondering if you can tell us about your experience with them so far and if they have I, what you expected, if you had expectations to work with them, have they, have they hit those? You know, I, uh, first, yeah, I love telling this story. My editor and I worked on fever house for like a couple months, month or two, kind of, you know, uh, tightening it up. And then on a Thursday, he's like, I'm going to send this out to like eight editors uh, and then we'll do a, on Monday, we'll do a big overarching uh, send out of like 30 people, you know, but so the first, he sent out the first eight on Thursday and on Friday, we get an email from Caitlin McKenna, my editor at Random House. And she just says, is there a sequel? And then nothing on Friday. 
or I'm sorry, over the weekend. But then on Monday, um, she writes back and she'd had her team read it over the weekend. And she's like, I want to set up a call with this guy. And Tuesday we talked and she prefaced it with like, uh, I don't have conversations with writers like this. It's just too heartbreaking unless I'm ready to make a deal, which is just fucking crazy. You know what I mean? Like Wait, your entire your, life. Yeah. Did your heart stop then? Yeah, it was incredible. It was like, I holy shit, man. After doing it for like so long and four books before that, you know what I mean? And like mm -hmm. failed books and everything. Um, and then on Wednesday we had an offer, you know, so it took like six days, including over the weekend for this deal. Um, and it's like, my editor is, is on point and, and so smart. And like between her and my editor and their teams, that's a big difference. Sure. Like Meerkat, it's like Trisha who runs Meerkat and I wearing all the hats, you know yeah. what I mean? Mm -hmm. And she does like marketing, distribution, sales, graphic design, outreach, all this shit, you know? And so with Random House, there's just, there's more people whose sole job it is to do their own specific field. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that took like, it's almost like guilt. You feel like this weird sense of guilt. I understand. Um, um I, I'm, I'm wondering also, since you did come from uh, the background of independent presses and it took, you know, it sounds like a long time. I'm sure years. Um, do you think that that kind of actually makes this win this W for you? Well, actually, I guess two more W's congrats on that. <laughs> um, that's going to make it all the more sweet. And like, you know what the other side's like, man, how, how do you, how do you think, uh, things would, would have played out if you just got it big the first time? I mean, sure. That'd be great. But like, are you thankful for your experience with Meerkat? Cause you said you put on a bunch of different hats and I've only done yeah. like, Oh yeah. I've only put on like three different hats and as just a writer, I didn't, I can't appreciate my own writing or others until I was like an editor and a slush reader. Mm. Sorry to cut you off. Go ahead, sir. No, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Um, yeah. And the, the cool thing to realize is that like, uh, even if, and you know, it'll like, if it happens, it's, it'll happen. Like say I do these four books with random house and it just doesn't, they're like, sorry, buddy. Good luck to you for book number five. You know what I mean? And they, you know, wave their hats to me and um i'm still gonna be writing just because like thank god the it's still so fun you know what i mean and like i unlike a lot of people love love the submission process and like i love submitting stuff i love querying agents um if i i you know i talk to my partner all the time where it's like if i was as fearless in other avenues of my life as I am in like getting published, like I'd be fucking unstoppable. You know what I mean? Because I just, it's just like, okay, you get a rejection, you do another one, you do two, you just keep writing, you know, it's still, the whole thing is still so fun. So I'd like to think that, um, I'll still be doing this regardless. Um, but yeah, I could, I could totally see myself choking if I had just started out with a big publisher, you know? Um, and so I got that, like, reminder that like the process is worth it and writing is still fun as hell you know so. uh can't can <laughs> you want to take over sorry for the awkward <laughs> silence
Yeah. That's great. Just waiting to see who was next. I, I think we're just re- well. I'm personally am reeling from the fact that you just said you love querying. I don't know what to say to you at this point. Yeah, I've never yeah, heard anyone yeah. say that. Dude, <laughs> it's I like my first agent. I queried like 96 agents before I landed somebody. I believe um, it. It's, and it's then, hard. Yeah, and it was for uh, my novel. I mean, it was for this book called Smoke City, which is about the remorseful reincarnation of Joan of Arc's executioner. Uh, who sees a woman claiming to be Joan on a talk show. And so he tries to travel to LA to apologize to her. So it's a weird book. You know what I mean? That's um, yeah. But uh, so it's just, there are, you know, there are some times where it's just like, you think you got one lined up or they ask for more time with the full manuscript or whatever. Um, or you're counting down shit on submittable or whatever. But yeah, that, I, I just love that whole process. It's like a, I just gamify it, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. so I can't even speak on that because I've never done it. I'm too scared. Oh, not yet. I just do my own thing and just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> I right wouldn't on. even know how. Yeah. But um, we are here to also talk about your book, sir. So let me get into that. Um, Fever House, first of all, checks all the boxes. Um, I don't even know what to classify it as. It's a little bit of crime. It's a little bit of military. It's a little bit of supernatural. There's a little bit of a cult in there. (laughs) Where? It's a multi-part question here. So where, when, and how did you get the concept? And mm, don't want to go with the and right now. Now let's start with that. And then I'll ask my next one. So when, where, and how did this idea strike you? Because it has layers. (laughs) Yeah. There is, um, it's one of those big, sprawling, like multi POV books. And it really started what I, the way I write is I just pick like five things that I'm like, I could write about this and and be interested. And I start those threads like for, it was like, I want to do something with black ops and like um, number stations and government documents and stuff. And I also want to do stuff with these crime guys. Like this guy hit Hutch Holtz, who's one of the main characters in the book. Uh, mm-hmm. He's this big uh, dented head leg breaker, dude. He showed up in like three previous books that I tried to write. And uh, I want to be like a strict genre writer or a strict literary author so fucking bad you know i'm just like i'm gonna be a serious author straight literary fiction about i don't know marriages or some shit but i cannot (laughs) not put like a ghost or a haunted robot dog or something in it you know what i mean you want to man. you can't escape (laughs) yeah i'm just like like stephen king and comic books you know i just can't like I just got to thread that stuff in. So the, the, there were a couple things where it was like Hutch Holtz kept bugging me as a character. And so, uh, and then the government agency stuff. And so I, like that first, like 25 or 30 pages of, um, of the beginning of fever house where Hutch and his, his uh, coworker, Tim are going up to do debt collections. 
that's lifted straight from another manuscript that never got off the ground until they find this severed hand. And once I had this hand, these leg breakers, and this notion of like a black ops kind of government conspiracy thing, that's when it started to, to fire. So I just really pick like five or six things that can hold my attention. And then I start tying all the threads together. I like it. Yeah. So on that note, so you already start with a lot of moving parts before you even start writing. So what does your writing process look from there? Once you have that, do you outline? Do you just wing it? What do you do? Yeah, I just start I just start writing and uh give these characters problems. And um we go from there. And so it's a it's a constant like backlog of checking like, oh yeah, that's an unresolved plot point. There's another one and just bouncing back and forth. Uh so I just make that shit up as I go. Like there's no outlining or anything. Um I will when the writing is going really well, I'll do like I'll get a chapter or two ahead. Mm. Like I'll know what's happening. Uh, this chapter will open up like what the next thing's happening. And when, when I stop getting ideas for stuff that happens next, that's when I realize, Oh, I got to backtrack because I'm okay. stuck. So, but yeah, it, it's, it's a lot of, I write shitty first drafts and then um, go back and clean them up a lot of time, mm -hmm. like 15 edits, you know? Yeah. So, also, am I that I'm hearing echo, echo crackle shit. Is that me? Mm -mm. Okay, cool. I don't, right. I don't hear anything. I don't okay, edit <laughs> that part out then. <laughs> uh, okay. So that's a lot like me. I, I um, I wing it a lot. I, I get <laughs> an idea, and I just kind of <laughs> just go. There yeah, isn't anything planned. I don't know if you're the same way, but like, I find that when I try to stick to an outline, I feel like compressed you know and like stifled where i'm like oh i have this other idea but it's uh i gotta stick to this plan you know yeah. and it's just it's not nearly as fun you feel like you have to fit in the box and then the idea yeah. you have doesn't fit in there anymore and then you're like well i gotta yeah. rewrite the box or i gotta like start over but so i don't no. do any of that i'm just like yeah i'm just gonna go I may do a loose, very loose, not even an outline, but like a list of, okay, I want to do A, B, and C, like where to go next. Yeah. But it's yeah. loose enough that if something else comes in, I can just write it in there and then I can still add to that list of what I, where I want to take the story next. But I don't, I don't ever outline like point by point, mm -hmm. by point or anything. I just have fun with it. So. Yeah, I'm the same way because I'll write, I'll have like the manuscript and then I have another document that's like ideas, I like a document of like places, names, ages, all that, like all that stuff, the details, yes, yep. and then just like a loose, at the end of it, like a loose catalog of like, oh, ideas that didn't really work, but then I want to be able to insert in there, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and then I just kind of bounce back and forth between the two. Yeah. Same. Yeah. All right. <laughs> there we go. Never works, right? Just yeah, keep it yeah. moving. I like yep. it. Because not a lot of folks write like me. So I'm always 
Most please find somebody less. Yeah, totally. It's good. Um, do one of you guys have a question? Do you want me to keep going with the story? I'd actually one. like to piggyback off that. Okay. Um, so, you know, going with that whole idea of you get those ideas and you just fucking go. Um, the book has this kind of propulsive punk rock feel to it. And I wonder if you credit the just go attitude that, you know, to pull that off, or if that's something that's, that, that you really focus on adding, uh, during one of those 15 edits. Yeah. I, um, we cut, like we added a bunch, but then also like my editor was very adamant about cutting, uh, all excess, um, how do I phrase it? Cause it's such a big book, but like the propulsiveness of like a thriller, you know what I mean? Oh, and so there's yeah. a lot of action and a lot of like short chapters. Mm. And, um, I just wanted to like all of my books before that are kind of not navel gazers, but like, you know, a little bit more steeped in like literary fiction, you know, of the, like, there's still, in Fever House, there's still characterization and all that stuff, but I just wanted to like try something new and just go, you know? So there's really an emphasis on like um, trying to make it uh, fast, you know? So there's a lot of like, there's a lot of backstory and, and, you know, people have feelings and all that stuff, but like, I just wanted to make it as fast as I could. Patrick, go ahead. Yeah, so I want to go back to when you were talking to Candace and you said that if you can't, if if the newer thoughts and ideas aren't coming to you, you backlog. Um, so I'm wondering, it to me, that sounds like you're not, if you were to be asked, like, do you believe in writer's block? I feel like that's kind of your answer. Is that inaccurate? No, that's totally it. Yeah. Or, I mean, uh, if I get, yeah, if I get nailed with writer's block, it's like, it's clearly... I'm pushing the, the, I've gotten off track somewhere with the story. Um, or I just need to take a break from this particular one. And that's why I also have like other projects going always, you know? Yeah. That's, um, I, I like asking that when I get the chance about stuff like the, you know, there's a bullet point list of like the same five or six questions when you, when y'all start writing and, um, writer's block is definitely one of those uh so i kind of i'm in the same boat but i like i like to reiterate those points if if i can because if you get stuck in the thought before you're even really experienced as a writer and you think there is a writer's block like i feel like most people are just gonna stop writing until there's like a muse yeah right so i like to hear hear positive ways that hey that's not a real thing you can you know yeah and I, you know i think a lot, a lot of people too like less maybe people writers who don't don't have as much experience uh there's um and everybody writes differently and this is just my how i do stuff you know but um there's an emphasis on like with less experienced writers maybe where it's like if i get the first 15 pages down perfect the rest of the story will appear you know um and so my experience is that to give yourself permission to write that super sloppy, messy first draft, you know, where ideas are just veering all over the place, because I promise that when you finish the book, you will be more informed about your characters and your story. Uh, and that will, that will affect 
your the beginning of your story when you go back to it you know so it's like if you go to the first if you keep doing the first 15 pages it's like people are going to just your characters are just going to be saying the same shit but they're going to be saying he said instead of he exclaimed or whatever but if you actually finish the draft and it's sloppy and ugly you'll still know more about what your people are doing and you'll be like oh he wouldn't even say that to begin with he'd he'd feel this way instead because I know what he's like at the end of the book. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'll just say one last thing that piggybacks off of that is, is um, I wrote I wrote a novel um, that was definitely based off of a lot of truth, and it took place in Boston. And long story short, um, I just let it flow to the point where it was basically not fiction it was just me retelling everything yeah and i'm like this isn't interesting there's a lot of real uh-huh. world boring shit in here so like yeah. i love how you said just let the first draft be whatever the fuck it's supposed to yeah, be. yeah totally I, I can relate to that and like if i'm a newer ish writer that's great advice that i never heard until i experienced it yeah and it's it's it really is giving yourself permission you know, because so many of us is like, so many of us think or thought like it's got to be perfect and then we can move forward. And it's like, it gets perfect after you've worked your ass off on the whole piece, you know, not yeah. just the beginning. Ooh. So I heard this yeah. crazy stat that with, even with the book, The Hobbit, like, I, I forget how many years, but it was just, I think in the decades where, it would have to go through so many different sets of eyes until the manuscript was perfect. And that's, that's the Hobbit. It's one of the most, right. you know, I'm probably, I'm probably up there with like one of the most sold books ever. Uh, yes. Candace, why don't, why don't you take over? <laughs> All right. <laughs> no pressure. Just, Hey, there you go. We're just no talking pressure. about Hobbit now, you know? Well, it's I mean, now we're on to the Hobbit. I was talking about a story, then we got on writer's block, and now I just don't know where to go. So let me just, you know, the path of confusion leads to crazy. On writer's go. block, um, I'm probably rather unusual when it comes to how I write, and the fact that writer's block simply doesn't exist, um, at least not in my mind. Um, because I'm always working on like five to six different works at the same time. Yeah. And about 90% of my process is mental. Mm-hmm. So by the time I sit down to write something, the story is already there. It's already done. The characters are already there speaking wow. and developed. That's so when I sit down, itself. like I'm <laughs> literally just writing the story, like it just comes out. But when I do get to a point where I'm like, okay, what do I want to do next? Like I could do A or I could do B and both sound really good. I'll kind of switch hats and I'll pull up the next story and I'll let that one flow while I'm working on the idea for, you know, A, I'll work on B. And then if the same thing happens, I'll switch hats and I'll work on C and I'll switch back and I'll work on an edit job for a little bit. I'll go find food. I'll come back and then A is ready to go so (laughs) I I always switch hats because I think certain folks may experience writer's block and I know not everyone I don't actually even like that word I don't even think it's a block I think it's just your own internal thought process that you need to work through and everybody works through those things differently 
not yeah. everyone can work on five different things at once. Their brain no just one, doesn't no one but work you can. that way. <laughs> there's several. There's some folks that can do it, but maybe Stephen not Hawking's everyone and... can do like five things at once. They have to be like, this is what I'm in, and they have to be immersed in that one thing from beginning to end. My brain goes too fast, so I have to be immersed in like several things, or I get off track because it's like, oh, but there's this, this, and this. Yeah, I know I'm like special in that way because I do a lot of it just mental and I just keep things moving no matter what. But I really don't like the phrase writer's block. I think it's just we all have our different ways of trying to work through what comes next in the book. We just need to give us some time. And for me, the way I give it time is I just simply work on the next one that I'm already working on. Other folks may need to take a walk or go to the park and spend a day doing something not related to writing, but mentally they're working through their issue with the book or what to do next. I don't think it's a block. I think you just need some time to process. That's how I look at it. So I'm looking up a a stat that says only 2.5% of people can multitask effectively. Um, yeah, so you're doing that internally. I'm just saying. Yeah. Um, if you're well, new listening to this, don't try to emulate Candace. Yeah. Don't up being yeah. Do not try this at home. <laughs> we're an elite squad. Yeah. Apparently, I'm special. Anyway, so um, back to the story. <laughs> so this is a fun one that I always like to ask. I think I ask it on almost every episode. Is there a favorite part? of the story that you enjoyed the most or a favorite person that you most enjoyed writing? No, I mean, some of the stuff that I liked was I liked the, uh, the kind of rapport between uh, Hutch and uh, his, his buddy Tim and their kind of like scenes where they got to rough people up and, and um, go to various i don't want to give any spoilers away but go to various houses and see some surprises you know yeah. um, those were fun and uh i loved trying to tackle all the um like there's a lot of i can't remember the lofty word they have for it but it's like a kind of buttressing up the story with these government documents and like i love doing all that yeah. research and yeah. finding like how they um actually like lay out a, a classified document you know was just i just love it when people pay attention to that stuff and um are able to put it in fiction you know like mm-hmm. i love addendums and things like that so that yeah. was a ton of fun to work on that's going to be a subgenre of found footage i feel like it yeah has to totally be. right and yeah so you did a great job mixing everything go ahead candace i don't want to Keep yapping. <laughs> you were fine. I was, was going to say I really enjoyed those within the um story, how you had them each, you know, in there, like, what's happening over here? And here's the Black Ops, and here's this. And yeah. Like, oh, okay. There's, like, a Rolling Stone article. Like, yeah. uh, my, my editor specifically asked for, like, a band interview or a band mm-hmm. feature. I'm like, all right, I'll put that in. So, yeah. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Um. There, there was a lot in here. Like I said, it checked all the boxes. Yeah, there's I a lot classified on. as anything, but it it's a great read. 
it's a lot of fun and it really pulls you in and lets you just get really immersed into just what the hell is going on. Yeah. And it's just a little bit of everything. And it's almost like you threw everything in here, but the kitchen sink or maybe the kitchen sink, but it all worked. And you're just like, what the hell? And you don't want to stop reading it because the way it's written kind of pulls you along to where you're like, Let's just keep going. It's just the wild mm-hmm. ride. So yeah, and it ends on a bit of a uh, a cliffhanger, one mm-hmm. might say. Uh, yeah. Um, and when I originally wrote it, like again, I had that call with my my editor, and she's like, the two things she asked for was like, "Are you up for adding like thirty thousand more?" And I'd like it to be vaguely in this this and this spot where mm-hmm. I think it's a little thin. And would you consider writing a sequel? And I was, you know, I was like, dude, you just gave me a career. Like I will write dog food, (laughs) you know, I'll write dog food copy for you if you want, like, you know, (laughs) Um, but the book ends on this cliffhanger. And when I wrote it, I was like, there was no sequel. Like that was the end, you know? Oh, wow. Um, And so uh, in retrospect, I'm not sure which would piss people off more, like having fever house end the way it does and just knowing that that's the end of the story or people are like very upset that like, I didn't know that it was a sequel. Uh, I didn't know there was another book and it ends on this way. It's so frustrating. So (laughs) moral of the story is you can't please anyone. Yeah. Everyone's going to be, you know, bummed about something. So yeah, I was going to say, I have learned to end mine in such a way that I could make a sequel mm-hmm. if there's enough, if there's enough outcry because the first couple of things I tried to write that were one and done apparently the readers were like no you're not yeah <laughs> um, almost everything all of my longer work right now has had to have a part two and some of them are going into part three because people are like what are you doing you're not done mm-hmm. okay. that's awesome yeah um, Right so now I just kind of leave like a little bit to where it's like, okay, I could end it here and I could leave it here. And if it doesn't do great, then I'm one and done and I can move on. Or if there's a demand, then mm, I can pick it up and tie this in and keep on. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because yeah, yep. you can't please uh, everyone. And there's always those few that are like, oh, that's the end. And then you have the rest of them like, we want more. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah. I just wanted to point out how uh, Keith is from Portland. Oregon and so is uh oh you free... did not just say Oregon Oregon <laughs> the Oregon Trail the Oregon no it's the Oregon Trail that's what it's we always call it but that is what kids in my area said all right Oregon. Uh, I don't know if people say you're part of Massachusetts man but Oregon. no no we we said I said I grew up saying Oregon and then I uh married a girl from Portland and I am not allowed to do that anymore see oh, you're, okay. yeah acting dude we're from the same area please yeah so my my mom and her family is from like arkansas and stuff and they they still say washington to this day (laughs) yeah i was just gonna say that we say that here washington or washington i don't i don't but (laughs) yeah people i know do yeah Yeah. yes people in the area yeah Size meat bananas. There are three other 
friends, you know, people that we have on the show sometimes, and they're awesome. They're from that area. Jeremy Robert Johnson, Tyler Jones, oh, yeah, and right. Chuck Polinick. Like the you four are very good writers, and you're yeah, all in the same right. area. That's really cool. Yeah. So, Brennan, I want you to jump in before I. Well, take actually, over. no, that's perfect because I wanted to go there anyway because the book takes place in Portland. Uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, is that just somewhere that you said it because you're familiar with the area or um, do you think that the Pacific Northwest really is part of the plot, like ties into what you wanted to do with this book? Yeah, you know, all of my books, um, I mean, the story collection, just a lot of that stories, you don't need to have a specific locale, but all my novels take place to some degree in uh, Pacific Northwest or Portland itself. Um, Road 7 starts out in Portland and then goes to a made-up island off the coast of Iceland, but the first third of it, you know, takes place in Portland. And with Fever House, honestly, um, a lot of it is uh, focused around the protests, the George Floyd protests. And I don't know how familiar you guys were with Port how Portland experienced all that but it was fucking intense here um it was all over the news dude for so long yeah and we had uh, a lot of stuff going on for like every single night for like four months um without fail protests police violence justice center getting hit with molotov cocktails you know um people getting hit with rubber it was just crazy and a lot of this is kind of a reflection of stuff that I saw or my friends saw um, and participated in. And um, that just that notion of, you know, with these government agencies and stuff, this notion of like might makes right. And like, I'm going to this agency that that has these remnants in fever house there's this idea of like i'm gonna take what i need and do what i need to do because i can and because i've been greenlit to do it and that kind of reflected a lot of what i saw happening during that time was this kind of you know we had like un uh law enforcement from a dozen different agencies and they didn't have any insignias on on their uniforms and they were literally pulling protesters into vans and then taking them into the justice center to like uh interview them and interrogate them yeah that's so, yeah that it was crazy terrifying yeah it was wild um and so just that it's just kind of uh that i and a lot of that is reflected in the book you know um and there's some scenes that are like pretty close to like what I saw, you know, not the uh, shooting spree scenes that happen later on in the book, no spoilers, but um, some of the shit that happened, you know, uh, were stuff that I witnessed or my friends witnessed. So Portland is an integral part of the book, I feel like. How's that for a really short version of your answering your question? No, that's perfect. That's perfect. Um, and, and it occurs to me that we've been talking about the book for 20 minutes now. And a lot of times we'll kind of kick things off with a little elevator pitch so that people who may not be familiar uh, with your writing or with the book can say, hey, that sounds up my alley. Uh, 
we've already sold the book in my opinion, but let's tell them what it's about. Do you mind doing kind of the short version of the synopsis? Yeah, it's so tough. I, I, I hate elevator pictures for a book like this. Cause there's like five main characters, you know what I mean? Um, but essentially these two leg breakers roll up to a apartment in Portland, Oregon to collect a debt and they find a severed hand in a bread bag in a guy's freezer. And they soon discover that the hand uh, induces uncontrollable desires for violence and bloodshed the more you're in proximity to it. And so instead of running the hell away like they should, they say, hey, and they take it to their boss. And then shit just gets worse for everybody there because it turns out the hand was actually uh, in possession of this secret black ops government agency that is very interested in getting it back and will do anything to get it back. And then there's a couple other characters, but shit starts spiraling very badly out of control after that. I hope this becomes a TV show or movie. Yeah. You know, we're, we're fingers crossed, man. I, I can't. Yep. Fingers crossed. We'll see. <laughs> I, I personally, I'm a huge fan of like true crime and um, especially growing up, like I'm Irish. I'm from Massachusetts. Not that we like him, but Whitey Bulger was always of interest. And like for ages, it was supposed stories. And my dad grew up in that area. So I, I'm really interested in that life only yeah. from the view of the TV screen or a book, not in person. Those guys uh, totally. like, don't want to go near at all, but yeah, totally. I loved what you did with oh. that. I mean, like they are super interesting only because yeah. like, how, how can people do that? But I, once right. you introduced the supernatural element to it and then things started on, you know, unraveling, it just, it's really unique. So I'm glad you did the elevator pitch. I don't know what the fuck I'd say. Dude, I love, right, like, the crime stuff. Like, I have yet to, like, write a sustained novel-length crime thing, but, like, I love writing about, like, dudes that could just, like, break your leg with a fish bat, you know? Like, I love writing about those dudes. It's so fun, you know? Don Winslow's uh, um, Power of the Dog trilogy. Yeah, Uh, totally. Yeah, that. That one has this one yep. scene in the first book that, like Brennan said on the show, it's it's just about worse than anything that I've read in a horror book. The bridge, <laughs> right. the bridge scene. Okay, yeah. it's been so long since I uh, I remember <laughs> the kid, the little kid playing soccer with like dudes' heads. Oh yeah, that's, <laughs> that's book three. That was a formative one for me. Yeah. I don't want to ruin the bridge scene. So, um, yeah. Brian, do you have anything else, man? Or Candace? Candace. Uh, <laughs> okay. Like, I, I no, want to ask something and I, and I don't know if you can answer this without spoilers. Um, but you, you've mentioned that extra 30,000 words a couple times. And it's so interesting to me that you had this, you know, finished book, and you essentially added a short novel to it. So for people who read it, I wonder if you can tell us w- approximately where the bulk of that 30,000 words ended up. Yeah. And, you know, I'm fine with the spoilers because it's it's not like the book, like the book hasn't been out yet. Like it's out. Like, you know what I mean? Um, essentially, 
what my editor wanted was she wanted there's a an agent named Samantha Wiles, uh, who is kind of the like uh I think she calls herself the bullet. Like she's the bullet for the the head of this agency that does like his kind of wet work uh for him. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to know more about Wiles. Um, and so I wrote a lot about that. And then also once things really start getting cooking in Portland and um, people, it turns out that if you die in proximity to the hand, you come back to life, uh, bloodthirsty and violent. And so, and it, it spreads like a mutagen really, really, really fast. And so with, I think the whole book takes place over like 30 hours, maybe, you know, and so once uh, things really get cooking in Portland, she wanted more time in that uh, kind of cook pot of utter fucking chaos, you know? Um, so yeah, there's a lot more scenes of what that craziness is like in Portland. That's cool. Those, those are the two big ones that I remember. Mm-hmm. That's nice. I can't get over the fact that an editor told you to add that much. Cause I, again, I've said this to you a few times in this episode. I've never heard that from any it's so, writer i was in yeah i was in new york last week uh doing a book reading at mysterious bookshop and richard price who's done like Walkers and um lush life and he he did the hbo adaptation of the outsiders the stephen king thing mm-hmm. uh he was supposed to be like he and i were supposed to be doing the q a and like five minutes before he calls me and he's like keith I'm in a I'm at a in a train at Times Square and the train just killed somebody. And so I'm not gonna be able to make it to the reading. By the time I get there, the the bookstore will be closed and all this. So my editor and I and my agent had like a really fast huddle and we just did the the QA with the three of us. Mm-hmm. And I told her that story and she's like, I can't believe I told you to do that. That's crazy. So yeah. She can't oh, believe it either. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lord, <laughs> oh my god, wow. uh, yeah. So I caught her on a good day, I guess. You know what I mean? Sorry, I just stopped. Um, I was just gonna say, I don't know how you would top that. That's in, that, that. How do you what do you do to how'd you respond to that? That a it, train just killed someone. Oh, oh yeah, I'm like, no, like, yeah, was your, did like, your face physically like, did you physically react to it? <laughs> I don't know. No, I mean, and I guess unfortunately, like that's not an uncommon thing to happen, you know, either accidents or people deciding, you know, like mm-hmm. um, it's not a terribly unheard of thing, I guess. So, yeah. Um, before we start wrapping up, I do want to ask about your older books. If there's one that you can pick that you wish more people read, what would it be? Oh, man, that's really nice. Uh, I love all of them. Uh, and I talked about Smoke City already. Um, I would say I, I had a, a, a kind of COVID book. Do you guys have any like COVID books or COVID stories or whatever, where they came out right when things kind of started to heat up with COVID and, and the world yeah. kind of shut down, you know? So my novel Road 7 came out right as COVID kind of uh came through and nobody was buying books or going to bookstores or anything like that you know and um shit was really dire and it was 
right when my uh, partner and I had uh, started fostering to a two-year-old and a three-year-old, these two sisters. And, um, and so I was, and my wife worked. So I was suddenly a stay-at-home dad of two children and COVID happened. And I was supposed to be doing like promotion for this book, you know, and uh, it just kind of died on the vine, you know? And so I love the hell out of it. It's about a uh, dude who is like an, an all but dissertation kind of uh, grad student. And he uh, answers this um, help wanted ad from a, a uh, disgraced cryptozoologist who's just been sent a video of a unicorn sighting off of this island off the coast of Iceland. And so he hires this assistant and they go to investigate uh, this unicorn sighting and shit gets way weird, way fast. That sounds awesome. I'm yeah. all in. You said magic that, bird unicorn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to need a signed copy of that sent to me. Yeah. Because. Right yeah. <laughs> oh, that's not fair. If that's only awesome. you get one. I'm yeah. all in. Oh, yeah, I love it. I love the book. And and no one, uh, again, it's like Trisha Meerkat Press and I, like we worked as much as we could, but like it, the world just suddenly got way different really fast, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I didn't get any traction. And so I'd yeah. love if people would check that book out. Okay, there you go. And uh, yeah. I don't know if it was a rhetorical question or not, but I had a, only a short story come out uh, during like COVID's peak. Yeah. Um, it was in 2020, and it's an anthology called Corona Nation Street. I, I don't know why it's called that, but mm. mine's just a one. I think it's one thousand fifteen hundred words story called the um the thing in Ron's head, and it's just a fun. I based it off of Ronald awesome. Kelly. Uh-huh. He, he read it. Him and his wife Joyce had a kick out of it. It's just this like parasite that gets stuck in your head and. Yeah, burrows through there, and he just goes crazy. But uh, right. Ron, Ron thought it was funny, so I'm like, whatever. There you go. Yeah, he, totally. He had a good time. Um, yeah. We did have a more. couple people on who, uh, you know, had, Paul had Tremblay, talked about Surri- Survivor Song. That is not mm-hmm. at all where I was going with that. Damn um, it! Thought I had <laughs> it. No, but people who had books come out like you know March 13th, March 20th, 2020, and just got totally lost in the shuffle. Um, Amakatsu comes to mind. She had a book. um, I want to say it was the deep that came out uh, right around that time um, and just got lost in the fold. But what a, it's too bad. (laughs) Yeah. It's a shame. A lot of good books came out. Yeah. So I I love that idea of like kind of rediscovering stuff like from that period that I kind of missed, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I wonder if any, cause I have heard that like writers would, kind of get uh the the bad end of it where if they have a book come out you know you're what is it you're you're only as good as your last book to to some Mm -hmm. publishers like what happens if your book comes out then march 2020 yeah totally right yeah Mm -hmm. um and i i don't know personally i I don't either concern I don't know if that would have applied widely for that particular point in time, considering it was a massive global event that sort of invited. You get a mulligan on that one. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, right, right. It really had nothing to do with the quality of the writer or the story. It was just Mm. no one could go outside. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yep. So, 
Yeah. But yeah, it's true. Like it, you are only as good as the last thing you wrote or produced or directed. And <laughs> that's the way the world goes sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Covers. Readers. But hey, since you mentioned the unicorn, <laughs> shameless plug for me, because why not? I wrote this little fun little story called The Unicorn Kick Killer. Um, the Unicorn what? Killer. Oh, okay. It's a slasher, and the guy's looking for, like, inspiration so he could become one of the most famous serial killers of all time, like, because Mm -hmm. he's trying his hardest and no one's paying him any attention, not even the cops, not even the news. Like, they just don't care what he's doing, and he gets his idea, and, well, he becomes the unicorn, and suddenly, you know, well, things get weird. There you go. It's like a half an hour read and it's a lot of fun. And his name is Frank Franklin because why not? And it's absolutely hilarious. And that went over well. So when you said unicorn, I was all in because it's kind of my thing. So, yeah. There may or may not be bejeweled unicorn shit in the book. So, just so you know. I'm already yeah. sold. Like you, yeah. There you <laughs> I'm like, already I like getting it somehow. I'm, yeah. I'm getting it. Cool. So, yeah. It'd I really fun. like the cover. Yeah, you know that was another weird thing. Is I've done all the covers of my books except for Fever House, um, and so that was a big like, uh, oh my gosh, are they going to do a good job? And then this designer Ella Latham who did. Uh, she did the only good Indians and she's done a bunch of stuff for star Wars. Uh, she just like that cover is so crazy. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> You see it across the room. You know what I mean? Yep. Well, exactly. Like what you're looking forward to. You know, now, is there uh, anything you can tell us about the devil by name or is it like just totally like, you know, ruins the end of fever house for any listeners. <laughs> uh, we're going to start doing like promos and announcements, like probably in December, I think, but mm-hmm. um, covers done. It looks rad. It takes place uh, five years after fever house. Okay. So I guess by the time the book comes out a couple of years in the future, technically, but mm-hmm. yeah. So um nice. Yeah, uh, we'll just say that, and then you know the, the little synopses will start coming out and all that hoo ha. But yeah, five years after the end of the book. Excellent. Yeah. I'm all in. So we'll have you back on again when that one comes out, so we can. Yeah, there you go. Right on. Go all over that one too, because I need yeah. to find out what happens. So. Yeah, right on. Thanks. <laughs> I'm already inviting you. Yeah, <laughs> not even my show, but that's okay. Really, you're a part of it. That's your show. All right, good. Good, <laughs> Patrick. You've been replaced again. Uh, Keith, again. what are you currently reading? What am I reading? I'm actually reading The Hunger. Uh, Al Makatsu's The Hunger. Oh, he is so, awesome. It's so fun, man. It's so fun, and it's like. You know, that again is like, I really like what she does where it's like this historical reimagining of um, with like this horror supernatural stuff going on, you know, Mm 
I think uh, Percy, Ben Percy did that with like the Deadlands. It was like a retelling of the Lewis and Clark expedition. Um, and it's just, I love like, it's so much of what like Fever House is and my stuff is, it's just this like shoehorning of like multiple genres together, you know, like so fun. She does a great, yeah, I, I love her work. She's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just, she blurbed like she blurbed the the Fever House, um, and I'm just like, I think she was the first blurb that I got, and I was just like eternally grateful for it, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. Candice, what are you currently reading? What am I reading? I'm reading "Pray for Dawn" by Christopher Michael Blake. Picked this up last weekend in New Jersey. Nice, was fantastic, and he was kind and gracious enough to not only I purchased the one, but then he gave me all his other ones. <laughs> nice. So, score free books. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I will let you know how it is um, next show. Awesome, Brandon. What are you currently reading? Um, I just finished Black Sheep by Rachel Harrison. Nice. Um, how is it? She. Oh, she she's one of my favorites, but it, she's got such a confidence to her writing. Like it's, I don't even really know how to describe it, but just her her voice is just so you know. Here's the damn story. Sit back and listen, and I and I love shit like that. Um, yeah. So this is kind of her spin on you know cults and satanic panic, and I had a great time with it. Uh, awesome. I'm also wrapping up uh, Nestlings by Nat Cassidy, which is nice. really cool. It's kind of um. Salem's Lot and Rosemary's Baby, a little bit of each. Um, it's it, it's cool. He uh, if 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 you read Mary, um, Nat's not really afraid to kind of blow the doors off and make crazy shit happen. Um, and this is no what's different. a good starting spot for him? Um, I think those are his only two books. Um, okay. If I had to pick one, I would say start with Nestlings. Uh, it's out okay. on the thirty first. Okay. Uh, and we will be talking that in a couple of weeks, I believe. Yeah. Um, awesome. But but Mary's awesome too. Um, cool. That's kind of uh, it's almost like his version, his his spin on Carrie. Nice, Patrick. How about you? So um, I I recently started the creature feature. It's like a bunch of novellas on Amazon. And Joe Hill. Oh yeah, yeah, Mallerman. Uh, I just right. started Joe Hill's. Uh, I like it. It feels like it's kind of in the vein not story line wise but the like tone i guess feels like rosemary's baby um he's just a great writer so it's it's really good it's called the uh awesome. the pram um mm-hmm. right yeah um where can people follow you uh so i i am on i every day i decide whether or not to like uh dump twitter um just given the nature of you know like political ramifications of shit um i'm still there uh and i can be found on instagram and blue sky as well and then you can also just go to keithrossen.com and there's a bunch of like free stories on there and links to my books and uh various like essays and stuff and like i wrote a nonfiction piece about being a legally blind boxer and stuff like that so there's all kinds of stuff to check out so that sounds awesome uh, Candace, yeah. where can people follow you? Um, you can follow me on Twitter, Blue Sky, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Uh, my website is uncomfortably dark. 
uh, Indie Horror Review site there. And on TikTok, you'll find us also under Uncomfortably Dark. So, cool. Brennan. Where can people follow me? Yes. Well, I'm not giving <laughs> yes. up my home address after the last time you asked that question. That caused yeah. a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, they can message me and I'll tell them. Yeah. Twist that that stalker was really me. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. Um, I knew that that tree didn't hide you very well. Um few trees do. Nope. At Brennan Lafaro on all the places except for TikTok. Won't do it. Yeah. Not happening. You, you will eventually. You, you yeah, right now, right now, not happening. <laughs> if you want to follow me, Patrick. PR if you want to follow me, PR McDonough at Twitter. The show you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. I think that's it. Um, do you have any final thoughts, Keith? Uh, but 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 uh, no. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, it super fun. Yeah, for for sure. I'll I'll jump in. My final thoughts are: appreciate your time. Fever House is awesome. And now I'm gonna check out. So it's Seven Roads, right? No, it's Road Seven. Oh damn it! Mixed up the words. Yeah. Got it that's all right. road seven okay About yeah yeah and it's got a ufo yeah. on the cover yeah brandon, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> brandon final thoughts yeah and i'm gonna echo patrick uh appreciate your time uh fever house is awesome i am so psyched to pick up the next one um right. i cannot wait to see after the journey that you took us through on the first one where you're where you're going this time around yeah um, so that's gonna be exciting that's always the weird thing is like people are like you know sequels are again we talked about like somebody is always unhappy like there are gonna be people that are stoked on it and then people are like oh he dropped the ball big time on this one you know what i mean so, <laughs> once again out. there's no pleasing everyone there are people who yeah are, you know who haven't who won't touch the book for eight months who are saying i can't wait to read it so i can tell him he dropped the ball <laughs> yeah right there you go. yeah yeah Candace, Candace. final thoughts final thoughts um well you already know i love the book because i i already invited you back so therefore <laughs> i need to know what's going to happen next um let's not drop the ball okay sir because yeah there you go i'm gonna judge you if you <laughs> no problem no um thank you for your time this the story is really great so for all you fans out there and anyone watching the show please go buy the book because i kid you not it will check all the boxes um and yeah so thank you and it's been fun and we will talk to you as soon as you finish the next one awesome thank you so much <laughs> you're welcome as always you have many choices in podcasts thanks for listening everybody bye bye